Hi, Fiber friends. Welcome to the Fiber Artist Podcast today. Thanks for tuning in. Head over to neuromastudio.com to get 15% off your next purchase using the code PODFRIEND. We have a huge selection of premium cotton rope and string, recycled cotton rope and string, merino wool roving, art yarn, recycled silks and ribbons, and tons of other scrumptious fibers for weaving and macrame. Again, the code is PODFRIEND for 15% off at neuromastudio.com. If you're enjoying these episodes, please don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast, like each episode and leave us a comment. Um, Another thing you can do to help out the pod is to tell all your creative friends about it. It really helps to spread the word. And I am very excited to introduce today's guest. We have Demi Mixon on the podcast. Demi is a very talented fiber artist based in Houston, Texas. She creates incredible hand-dyed macrame and mixed media works. We chat about her fiber journey and a little about our Enneagram numbers. Demi shares her experience of being laid off from her corporate job at the start of the pandemic, the sheer anxiety and panic that ensued, and how that experience has reshaped how she approaches her now full-time creative work. You can find Demi online at demi.design and on Instagram at demi.macrame.designs. Okay, enough from me. Here is Demi. I'm Demi Mixon. I of Demi Macrame Designs, and uh, I am a now kind of branching into multimedia fiber art and um i'm mostly found on instagram but i also have a website at demi.design and yeah awesome well thank (laughs) you for joining me today and it's pronounced uh demi yeah okay great um i have been butchering people's names left and right like the last three podcasts i i like say hello and i completely say it wrong and i'm like oh shoot i really thought i had it right (laughs) Anyway, um, thanks for joining me today. Um, well, I, you and I have been Instagram friends for a really long time, <laughs> so I'm excited to get to talk to you. Um, I mean, I've just been so incredibly wowed by your work in the last, like, I mean, I guess it's a year and a half, but you haven't actually been practicing fiber for a crazy long time, right? Um, so yeah, uh, let us let, tell everybody, you know, how you got started and um, and and yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay the background um yeah so I've always been like a creative person I kind of just started thinking about this recently many members of my family also have their own little creative streaks Mm -hmm. and I think growing up I was exposed to a lot of like learning how to sew from my grandma and you know always drawing always wanting to paint or do something like that so I kind of always had that like bug to use my hands and make something Mm -hmm. um which I think has grown into a little bit of an ADD thing when you're sitting down and you're like, okay, I need to do something. Um, But I gravitated to fiber in grad school, actually. I was doing, I'm also a geologist, so I have my my bachelor's and master's in geology, and I did my master's degree in Alaska at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And when I was there, I kind of taught myself how to knit when it was you know, cold winters outside in your cabin. And you're just like, I can't really do anything right now. So I need to learn. I need something to do. Um, Wait, yes. Yeah, so so you went from, where, where did you do your undergrad? Um, Texas A&M. Okay. So you went from like tropical Texas to Alaska for how long? Um, so I did that for about three and a half years. Okay. And wow. I was in Fairbanks. So that's like dead center interior Alaska. So it gets some of the coldest temperatures. Wow. Um, the coldest I got when I was up there is like negative 48 oh my, my first year. <laughs> How do you even, I mean, I, that, I have no concept of what that's it's, like. It's kind of funny because I went from an extreme heat in Texas to an extreme cold. Mm-hmm. So it's all just about, for there, it's just about dressing, right? And, you know, it's in Texas when it's 105 degrees outside, it's not like you're spending your time outdoors. Of course. It's yeah. just the same there when it's like negative 20 or something. You're not really like walking around outside too much. So and you acclimate. Right, know. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but when I was there is when I learned how to do uh, knitting. Mm-hmm. And I really fell in love with that. And I started knitting like all sorts of things. Mostly, mostly like, <laughs> I have maybe 10 sweaters that are started that still aren't really finished. Uh, but lots of hats and scarves. And I gave gifts away a lot. And yeah, so that's kind of what I did for my three years when I was up there. Nice. And then when I moved back down to Texas, um, I moved back to Houston. That's where I'm from. And I wanted to continue doing something, but I kind of was ready for a change. And it's also pretty warm here. So 
when you're knitting like with wool and all this really chunky fibers, it's kind of hot. Right. <laughs> so at that point is when I was looking on Instagram for like things to do. And I just started seeing little macrame things pop up. And this was 2016, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, 2016, around that time. Um, and I think, and some of the first cord I ordered was on Amazon and it was from you. It was like, just like a raw natural cord. Yeah, yeah, I used to sell on Amazon, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I did like a DIY kit and I was like hooked. I mean, cause it's just, you know, you learn three basic knots and you just, with a little creativity and ingenuity, you can just kind of do whatever. Totally, that's the beauty of macrame, I think. It's like really those three knots will take you, I mean, the sky's the limit after that, truly. Yeah. You know, and you can yeah. embellish with other ones, but those three is, it's like all you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I learned pretty quickly and then I was engaged at the time and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be our wedding. <laughs> like, I'm going to have shit everywhere. Nice. <laughs> oh, I made like 16, like four foot wall hangings. Oh my God. Really? Did, yeah. have, you, have you posted all those? Um, I, I, I must have not A while back. back. We're like yeah. way back there, but yeah, I have some, we had this really nice venue that had this kind of metal square frame that hung above where the main tables were. Mm-hmm. So I suspended the, um, the wall hangings from that frame. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. And it was kind of like, yeah, it was great. I loved it. But after that, it just kind of took off and eventually I got into hand dyeing and yeah, just really dedicated a lot of time to it. Um, at the time, I was working for um, oil gas industry here in Houston mm-hmm. as a geologist. And when the and how did that go? I was working and I was also doing like markets. I started making so much that I was like, I got to go to markets and like yeah. sell some of this stuff so I can actually kind of validate my craft expenses <laughs> a little bit. Um, and those were like the fun little experimental pieces and, you know, planters and things like that. Um, and eventually I just wanted to start making bigger and bigger things. I spoke with you like the year before I started doing my big, big stuff and asked for like that big chunky cord, mm-hmm. um, of which I am still totally in love with. Thank uh-huh. you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people love it there. Um, so I have to say, thank you for requesting it because yeah. at first I was like 25, like 25 millimeters, the largest we can go, you know, cause you were like, how, how thick can we go? And, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's so cool to work with. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm and really it, happy that you, that's been so cool to see like, Oh, this is just like, I asked her if she could get it made and she made it. And now so many people are just like using it in their work. And yeah. Like, yeah. I know. And, and I in so like many I'm different ways. You are. You totally are. <laughs> I should call it the, the Demi 25. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. Um, yeah. But, you know, I got that, co- you know, you had that cord manufactured. And then I did my first like almost five foot circular piece with that. And then after that, I was like, OK, I have to like expand the way I'm working. I have to really push my boundaries here. Um, and then when COVID hit, oil tanked, my company leaned right. out oh, and right. I was let go. So oh, once it was that's let go, what happened. Okay. Yeah. So it was let go in 2020, like March or something. And, uh, after that, I was kind of like, you, you know, I don't know, you get let go from a job and it's a big hit to your ego. And you're like, is this, is this my fault? Um, especially really because oil and gas feels like a recession proof industry. No, but yeah, like I and I and I definitely didn't think um, rope would be would do so well in the pandemic. I mean, wait, it was everything was opposite what it was supposed to be. It's so mm-hmm. weird because so many people were at home just needing something to do and yeah. like craft, which is great. I know. I, yeah. So, God, I never would have thought, yeah, oil and gas would have to start thinning out. It's a very I'm used to it here in Houston. I mean, I know so many people in the industry and it's a very cyclical industry. Lots of ups and lots of downs. The highs are really great and the lows suck. Mm. So it's hard to be a part of if you don't want to kind of go through the roller coaster. And, you know, when I was let go, I kind of really had this existential kind of crisis for sure. Totally. And um, just decided I wasn't ready to go back to try to do that. And I also kind of think the corporate environment that I was in wasn't really something that was for me. Mm. Um, so I really wanted to take the time and try and devote everything I could to like really pursuing 
an art practice and kind of building a career around that. Right. So that's what I've been doing since then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I actually want to ask you a lot about your geology background. Sure. It sounds counter to the fiber stuff, but I think that there is, it's part of, it was a part of your life for so long that it, mm-hmm. it's definitely still there. And I think it's planted seeds for what you're working on now. Um, I'm stupid when it comes to earth science. So I mean, I know the basics, like what I learned in fourth and fifth grade or whatever. But um, <laughs> so as a geologist, um, like I, I'm, I would love to hear more about your, your time in Alaska and like what you were doing there, what you were studying. Yeah. Um, I know some of it you had mentioned when we were talking before, what you had sent me um, sort of informed some of your work now. So um, yeah, I would just love to hear about that experience and, um, and kind yeah. of like weave the thread to how it kind of plays into your work. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I've always loved like, anything to do with earth sciences. Um, I was always somebody who, well, I guess, I mean, when I was a kid, we went camping a lot and I really enjoyed that. And I always wanted to do something. I shouldn't say always, cause that's not accurate at all. I was a kid that didn't think about the future until everybody else started thinking about the future. And I was like, shit, what am I going to do? Really? Um, wait, wait, wait. Then- Actually. So as a kid, I'm wondering as a kid, yeah. were you like, a very studious kid? Um, were you active and sports and, you know? Yeah, as a kid, uh, I was not a studious kid. I was not, I did not maintain very good grades or anything like that. Uh, I see that's shocking to me. You became a, you basically became a scientist and you didn't yeah. have good grades as a kid, which no, gives me I hope for <laughs> my kids. <laughs> I changed a lot. Yeah. Um, in high school, especially like, I don't remember classes and like things you learn in high school. I remember drill team. I was on my, my high school dance team. So I danced like throughout my whole youth. Um, and when I was a kid, you know, I did the karate, ice skating, gymnastics, you know, my mom put me in like at least a little bit of everything to see what I liked. Mm -hmm. Um, dancing was always like a constant thing I enjoyed and I dedicated most of my time and energy to that in high school. Um, that's where I found my best friends that I'm still best friends with to this day. And it, even then, I was like an officer my senior year, which meant that I was in charge of like a, a team of you know members and was supposed to be on time and diligent and all the stuff. I was always late. <laughs> I was always getting demerits for being late. Always procrastinated. That has not changed. <laughs> <laughs> That is something I've tried to change, but it does not change. Um, but yeah, so I wasn't super studious and I didn't really think about college literally until we ha- sat down in high school in an auditorium with my friends and they started talking about like applications for college. And I was like, oh yeah, this is a thing people do. Oh wow. That we just didn't really talk about in my household. Um, my mom, we got, my parents got divorced when I was 11 and then everything was just kind of like they were always just working to like make ends meet and always very busy so i think she always assumed that i would go to college we just never really had the conversation oh my god that's Um, so crazy so when it was brought up i just kind of was like okay well i'll apply where my friends go and that's pretty much what happened oh wow Um, yeah it's so funny because i I say that's crazy because that's so opposite my household i literally like from the i i mean i think when i was probably by the time I was seven, I understood that my whole job was then to get into a good college and get straight A's. And I mean, it was totally like typical yeah. Asian household in that way. But I can't imagine yeah. just like enjoying my childhood without thinking about <laughs> what college I was going to get into. I mean, I will say <laughs> I wish kind of nice. more thought into it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't like flunk out of things. I just, you know, I wasn't like a had to get A's kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. I think my parents were happy if we just made it day to day with the situation that we were in. Right. So Do you have siblings? I have a sister. Okay. Yeah, I have a sister and um, a brother. Okay. Um, and so did you have to go between your parents' houses as they, like after they got divorced? Yeah, they did the whole, um, like every Wednesday we'd have, we'd be with my dad and then every other weekend with my dad. Okay. All yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, hectic. I'm sure it was like yeah. There's so, a lot of moving. You know, and... It was. It it is. It was what it was, and I I ended up making such valuable connections, anyways, regardless of grades or anything. I mean, right. my friends really shaped, I think, the person that I became. Yeah. 
um, because they were so, they had those kind of traditional households where like they were all in the National Honor Society and like, you know, doing that stuff. So, and I was just like, hey, I'm going to not do homework tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say peers are like the most influential. Um, they are really the most important thing that influences a kid. So mm -hmm. as long as you have good friends around you yeah, and like, I, motivated friends around you, then you kind of pick it up. Yeah, I really agree with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so then I kind of eventually found my way to A&M for geology. I did some community college for two years, took some earth science classes and then fell in love with like my oh. intro to geology class. And that's really how it happened. I had an intro class at one of our local colleges here and I thought it was great. Um, so how, I many, how many years of community college did you and then transferred to A&M? I did two and okay. then did, did three and a half at A&M to okay. kind of catch up. Nice. Yeah. So five and a half total for my undergrad. Good. Why not? Student loans really loved that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, at least you offsetted it because community college is not that as expensive, right? So. Right. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to do what um, you got to do. Yeah. So I, I just fell in love with like, I don't know, just learning about the planet we live on and how yeah. it actually works. I do have, for, I will say at a younger age, I was not very studious, but I did develop a very critical and like um, just questioning mindset. Mm -hmm. I really like to learn how things work and like why now. And in college, I really kind of picked that up more. I think when I found subjects that I was very interested in, I was like, how does that work? And, you know, why? Yeah. Why is this a thing? You know, what is global warming? What is, you know, all of this stuff that impacts us and, um, I'm fascinated by the concept of time and a geologic time scale is so different than the time scale that we have on, in our day-to-day -day lives, you know, right. second to second, 24 hours in a day in that class. I mean, in those subjects, you learn about things that take millions of years right. to happen. Um, yeah. But, but the things that are happening are extremely impactful for the environment around us. So it's just a really fascinating subject. Um, and, you know, undergrads kind of like all the general study stuff. And then I went to the geology. They're all kind of like, well, you have to get your you have to get your master's. You know, mm -hmm. if you want a job, you got to go get your master's. So um, I was fortunate enough to have an undergrad internship with a company based in Alaska mm -hmm. where I just online. It was just an online thing where I did um, QA, QC of data that they were getting okay. for um, a project like a hydro dam project and from there the dean of the college and my boss was like oh just apply to you know the school in alaska just you never know so i did that they sent me up there to work for the summer i found out i got in while i was there over the summer and i was like well this is gorgeous and beautiful i'll definitely go here um had an experience You're right i was like you were there in the summer oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh and it was so cool because being from houston like we don't really get a lot of snow. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the first weekends I was there in the summer, there was a little bit of snow and I was like, what oh, <laughs> is <weird>. this place? <laughs> yeah. Um, but from there, I'm really glad I picked Alaska though, because they have some really interesting geology and um, it's just gorgeous. I mean, the terrain is beautiful. It's such a frontier still. Yeah. I've never been, but I'm dying uh, to go. I'd love to go. Yeah. I tell everybody that they have to go. It is the most magical place. I bet. So being in Fairbanks, is it like city? Is it, it's city-like, right? Yeah, they, well, yeah, they have a small town or it's a small city. There's, okay. I think it's the second most populated city in Alaska. I think Anchorage That's is the Anchorage, first yeah. and okay. it's Fairbanks. Um, it's close to, I think a lot of like mining used to come out of there probably still does. Um, but it's not like so huge. There's the college and then there's like a small kind of downtown area and then it kind of sprawls outward from there. Okay. Um, so like the airport has four gates and one terminal. Okay. <laughs> so <know>? small. <laughs> um, so when you were working there in the summertime, were you doing like hands-on work or mostly like the data? Um, yeah, or? I was tech. I was a geotech. Okay. So, um, the contract they had, um, this was a hydrology company based in Fairbanks. They had a contract through the state 
to do some research on um, the Susitna River, which flowed through uh, like a central uh, mountain range. And they were looking to dam up the river mm-hmm. for um, hydropower. Um, so the company I was working for was just gathering like data on like the stream flow and like how it changes over the season and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff I didn't really know everything I was doing, but I went out on the boats every day to like help install equipment, um, collect old equipment, kind of just gathered, you know, whatever information they needed, really. I measured a lot of like river heights mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, I didn't like do any of like the analysis of it. Okay. Because um, I wasn't a hydrologist, so right. I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> well, it's cool though. I mean, because doing field work sounds like the most fun part of it, really. It's great. Like doing yeah. the analysis sounds really boring to me. I think just being out <laughs> in nature and doing whatever measuring you need to do is actually yeah. Sounds I mean, that way was more my ideal. first like. I was in a helicopter a handful of times, like cool. flying over these beautiful mountain ranges. Oh, wow. Um, in boats on these magnificent rivers you know, didn't see any bears from the ground. I never saw bears from the ground in Alaska. I only saw bears from the helicopters. But I saw plenty of moose, which are also more terrifying to me. Yeah, they're big and they charge yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. We have bears around here, but they're black bears. So they're cute yeah. and kind of small. And But they're, every, I mean, I they're- saw a mama and four cubs walking across the street, like right where I live. Yeah. <laughs> Over you gotta in the, be careful um, when you see the cubs. Fall, yeah. They're defensive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I know. I sat, I stayed in my car. And there was like a, a lady walking toward them, like not knowing because she was just like on a walk. And I'm like, don't go that way. Don't go that way. <laughs> they just passed by. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, gosh, they're so crazy. When, when I finished school in Alaska, my husband and I, now husband, we took a month to drive down from Fairbanks to Houston. And on our drive, I think through Canada, we saw like nine bears just on the side of the roads. Wow. And there are all of these like cyclists that that um, cycle that highway, highway one. And I, I mean, they have to just see them and pass them. But I'm, I don't understand. I know how. it's scary. Like, I speak out. I freak out when I see them. But when I'm in the car, I'm like, okay, I'm safe and I can drive away fast. But yeah, if I were walking or cycling or not in a box of metal, then I would yeah. definitely be scared. I know. And they're over, they're brown bears over there. Yeah. They're brown <laughs> bears over there, right? Like it's like yeah. Kodiak bears and brown bears or something. Yeah. The grizzlies are huge. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're massive. Uh, yeah. I'm totally off of on a tangent now. But no, yeah, I know. It's okay. This is what this whole, this whole podcast is tangents. Yeah. <laughs> Loving geology. And uh, the work that I did, I was basically looking at a full mountain range called the Talkeetna Mountains in South Central Alaska. And I did a lot of work on a program called ArcGIS, which is like a mapping program, Mm. where I looked at digital elevation models of the mountain range and applied, I'll throw out some terms here that I probably can't describe, (laughs) applied a lot of geomorphology kind of equations to really look at the, the topographical features of the mountain in mm-hmm. specific points. Um, and I gathered samples from a specific area. And really the goal was to just try and understand if there are parts of this mountain range that are still tectonically active, which means mm-hmm. that are there parts of this mountain range that are still faulting or um, building up um, or is like those kind of active processes like dead. Um, and my advisor was interested in me doing this because of that specific dam project that was going through the river uh-huh. that I had been an intern for. Wow. So this is sitting a river that was building the the dam. Uh-huh. And, you know, I was just kind of trying to see, is this dam a good idea or not? <laughs> but were, did you were, uh, did you say long enough to get the results? Not really. Uh-huh. Um, well, I mean, I got I did my thesis and defended it and kind of found that Based on the research I did, I found that some areas areas might still be um, actively faulting. Um, mm. But honestly, now that I go back through my research, I'm like, oh, I probably could have done that differently. I don't, I don't know. It's it's hard to say with like a master's thesis because I think over time you would learn so much more and you'd like, mm, I could have done that a little differently and maybe gotten a different result. Sure. So it's, it's hard to say. Um, Plus, it just doesn't seem like that... Um... Uh, exa- I mean, maybe it is. Is it? An, it's not, it can't be an exact science. I mean, you're just taking no, you're taking data, not, and especially the yeah, 
it's not an exact science, especially the way that I, um, the kinds of science that I was doing, because it was informed by a lot of like mapping and um, like mathematical equations right. that you input your own variables, basically. So, right. I mean, all that stuff is subject to the person doing the, the research. Sure. Yeah. Sorry, that probably was way too much. <laughs> no, no. See, the thing is, like, I find this very interesting. I know, I don't know, maybe people are like, okay, get to the art already. But like, okay, yeah. like you're speaking about this. And while you're speaking, I'm looking at what's behind you, which to me, it's like, I can see like a direct line to how this translated to your art, even if this, even if your time in Alaska was not exactly what you were thinking about when you were making the pieces behind you, but I can so just see it. I can see like the natural elements and the flow and, you know, you're studying rivers and I can see it like all sort of flowing behind you. And I don't know, I find it very beautiful. And I think, I think, and that would be my, like my assumption is that it, it does inform your work now, you know? Yeah. I think um, the past year I thought a lot about that and the, the time that I've spent as a geologist has definitely, I think, informed the way I view color and shape and work with things. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all, again, kind of comes back to this fascination with like time. And then like, there, there are so many natural processes in our world that have like a natural search for equilibrium or creating balance or um, working through these natural cycles. And I think that mirrors a lot of things that we experience as like human beings in like everyday life. Right. Um, and then I think it mirrors kind of the way I work. I mean, I do a lot of kind of symmetrical pieces or pieces that are very, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to pull out the exact words, but I do think there's like a relationship between like the work I do, how I live my daily life, and then the studies that have impacted me yeah yeah i mean like the piece behind you for example is that the one you titled mesa or am i making that up? yeah that one yeah okay mm -hmm. so can you talk about that i'm okay so process wise i'm like dumbfounded by your work because <laughs> i know that you hand dye but i also don't understand the symmetry that you're achieving with the finished piece and I'm just like, yeah, you don't have to give away your secrets. It's just I have to say that and just I, maybe we'll leave it at that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's truly like astounding and just and beautiful. And yeah, I'm I'm perplexed by it and also very uh, amazed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, can you tell me about yeah, that? The, the, um, yeah, so the Mesa, it, I think from start to finish was like a seven month ongoing project. But it was never like, you know, you sit down and work on it completely for seven months. That literally never happens with anything I try to do. Um, so that started with just some like, I wanted a symmetrical piece. I wanted to kind of try to figure out how I can use that knotting technique to create something symmetrical because I knew it would be really challenging. And um, I kind of was inspired by a lot of like Georgia O'Keeffe is a big inspiration for me. So I kind of started making these wavy, doodling these kind of wavy, beautiful lines that mirrored each other. And it wasn't until I started knotting them that it reminded me of like a Mesa landscape mm -hmm. viewed sideways. <laughs> um, and so the process started with just sketching, playing with color, wanting to go with these more earth tones. Um, and then when I made it, trying to remember, I think I made just left side over to the middle and then I flipped it around and mm -hmm. did the other side over to the middle so I went top to bottom and then bottom to top oh wow to tr okay. try and achieve that symmetrical look um, because sometimes when I, I work with my clove hitches just directly across the whole piece tends to kind of shift in one direction right. I guess just from tension as you're nodding and I haven't really figured out a way to like keep that over in one place <laughs> but yeah so that was um Right, so flipping An it around, yeah, I could see how that would, yeah, that would work. Yeah, oh, it's so interesting. Which made it difficult though, because you're trying to also. I was trying to also match the colors on either side, so right. doing it backwards meant that the color placement had to switch, and that was a that was a fun challenge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't. I really can't wrap my head around it, like, because <laughs> I'm like, well, I know you, you know, because 
it's like different if you're just painting it, right? But you're you're taking already dyed cord and creating this, um, you know, this result, which is just it's beyond me. Yeah, I can't even, I can't really describe it in any other way than to be like, it's like it's a total puzzle, you know? It's like, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which so, I really like puzzles. So. Right, I was gonna say in a lot of ways you ha- you must have a math brain, which ties into you know the yeah. work you're doing, which is weird because I hate math. So I yeah <laughs> ah the irony. <laughs> yeah. So um, how did you get into the hand dyeing, and um, do you have any advice for people who want to just play around with dye? Hmm. Um, I got into hand dyeing. I went on every year my family on my husband's side, we all tried to go to a national park together um, to do a national park trip. And we went to Yellowstone. I think it was our first year we decided to do this. We went to Yellowstone together. Uh, It was like all of us crammed into one SUV with a two-year-old laying on top of us. It was great. (laughs) For sure it was. (laughs) Yeah. The rides were awesome, but the landscape's beautiful. Yellowstone's such a gorgeous park. Um, obviously, as a geologist, I love national parks. Huge fan. Everybody should go. Support your parks. <laughs> and we went there, and I was falling in love with the the like gradient colors in a lot of these geysers. So if you've ever been, they have these gorgeous, um, especially Grand Prismatics, like the big one, the big known one, mm. where these colors grade from like a rusty rich red to like a bright orange to a teal to like a deep blue. Oh, nice. And I saw that and I was like, I want to, and at the time I was doing tons of macrame just in neutral palettes. And I was like, I want to figure out how how to like add this to my work. Um, And then when I got back, I did like heavy, heavy Google search for like radiant colored cotton string does not exist (laughs) or at least did not exist at at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I was just really trying to rack my brain. I tried hand painting the string with acrylics and doing all these other things. And eventually I had a friend who's uh, a family friend who's a quilter. She's like, why don't you just dye it yourself? And then I just, I was like, no, that's way too much work. (laughs) I know. So messy. I was was like, that's, that's messy. The amount that I want to dye is just going to be way too much. I don't even know where to start. So I put that off for a really long time. And then, um, at one point, I just ordered some writ dye, just like, okay, maybe I'll try it. Like a few months later, I did that. And it was like that December, I ended up getting actually a hernia in my oh. abdomen. And I had to have like, you know, a surgery to have it repaired and everything. So then I was on work leave for like two weeks. Um, so when I was on work leave, still in a lot of pain, but very bored, I was like, I'm just going to try this dyeing thing and see how it works out. So I was just like very slowly shuffling in my kitchen and I had like these little cups of dye out in all rainbow colors. And I just started playing with like little strips of string Mm -hmm. and dried them and was like, wow, this is really great. And it really wasn't that hard. So then I dyed a few few more a few days later. So on a time where I probably should have not been moving around that much, I started dyeing string. (laughs) You like you prolong your healing by like three weeks because you need to move around. Yeah. And it was kind of crazy because I got I got to the end of that two week period off work and I had started, you know, diving into all this color stuff and be like, oh, I can totally do this. I can dye this this, you know, grand prismatic color scheme that I want. And I have this distinct memory. My husband does, too. Of I was in a car with him. We were driving out to the UPS station to pick up a package or something. And I just started crying in the car. Oh, no. I was like. I don't want to go back to work. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to go back. I was like, I just want to make macrame all day. And I was having this really like intense feeling yeah. of just not being satisfied with my, like, what was my day to day? Yeah. Um, what was, uh, when was this? What This month was December, 2018. Okay. And had yeah. you, had you been feeling that for a while and it just sort of came out or is is do you feel like you just sort of needed the break to for it to settle in and realize for you to realize Yeah, I it? think the break really helped prompt that intent like intensified it, but I yeah. I do I I was kind of always finding myself, you know, in a time where I should be working on this one thing, sketching a design and then somewhere else or you know, it was just a thing that never left my mind and mm-hmm. I, I I loved the technical geology work that I did. Um, 
but something about this was just pulling me away mm-hmm. <laughs> and I couldn't really stop it. It, Yeah. So when I had that time off and I was kind of reaching this new kind of developing this new way of working it, I don't know. I, it was just one of those things where I was like, I have to figure out a way to change things or yeah. provide more time for me to do this or something. Cause it, yeah. And then I, I mean, I, I really believe, I don't know, you know, if you're religious or anything, but for me, those moments are such a like divine spark where, you know, you can't, you, where you can't deny the way like the energy is pulling you to one thing yeah. as opposed to another. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it gets and I it gets agree. the ball rolling to figure out what you're going to need to do in order to then, you know, leave your job. And I guess you got lucky in a way because yeah. the decision was made for you. But like, so were you, t- so that was, two, it took two years between the time where you were like, I don't want to go back to um, to when you did get laid off. Were you sort of trying to make a plan for leaving or were you kind of no. coasting? No, I was I was just kind of ramping up um, the side work that I did and mm-hmm. uh, trying to do more markets and just on my own time, I just made more and more and more. Yeah. Did you feel um, really... unhappy or unsettled or, you know, how were you feeling during that time? It's hard. I mean, I don't want to say anything like negative about like the company or anything but like because it's not it's not because the company did anything this is like a total personal journey and I mean yeah you know I wasn't satisfied for sure and I I definitely wanted to be somewhere else um you know it's hard because but it was one of those things where I have a ton of student debt like I student loans were the only way I could pay for all eight and a half years of my schooling Yeah. So I have that much amount of student loans that I'm still paying off. And, you know, it becomes such like a responsibility thing of, you know, I don't want to. It, it, at the time, it just didn't seem feasible, you know, to be like, I'm not going to make the same paycheck, but we still have to make all these payments. Right. <laughs> like, right. Of course. So yeah. uh, I never actively tried to sit down and like come up with a plan. I kind of in my mind was always just like, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, this will work out. Um, I have a very internal, like optimist outlook. (laughs) Things I kind of always feel like things work out. That's probably because when they don't work out, my brain doesn't, you know, store them away (laughs) as much, but, um, yeah, it, it was, difficult and became more and more difficult and more and more obvious to me that I just wasn't really very happy there doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was good at it, but you know, it's just one of the things just because you're good at it doesn't mean you want to do it all the time or in that specific scenario. Right. Of course. Um, well, so I interrupted yeah. you anyway. So you're, you're on your way to the post, uh, the UPS store and you have a breakdown about not wanting to go I back have, to work. I have a breakdown and my husband's just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to tell you. Um, yeah. But yeah, that and that was really just the time when I realized something wasn't that happy. And then we actually got married the following spring and had a beautiful wedding with all of my macrame. And, <laughs> um, and then after that, it was I think the stress just kind of piled on more and more and more after that, because I knew something wasn't right with kind of how my life was, but I don't really, I tried to figure out like why, why I felt that way. But I think it's a the guilt thing. Like you don't want to go do your thing because your partner can't do that right. or other people, you know, can't <clears throat> do that. Or, you know, like why, Should I just kind of drop these? You view it as dropping responsibility, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, So it's like, why why should I get the chance to do that when there are other people who probably deserve this more or, you know. Right. Or this person's working so hard for something else. And, and, you know, why shouldn't they get what they're wanting to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's a thing I still struggle with. (laughs) Right. But, you know, I mean – I can understand it in terms of your husband because that's like something you're directly dealing, you know, it, it's a life you're forming and building together. Um, but, you know, when it comes to other people, I mean, you realize you, just, you have to do what's right for you, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So anyway, your your job 
decided for you. <laughs> um, was your was your macrame business at the time? So you were doing some, um, you were doing uh, markets and selling online, right? Was do you feel like it was consistently growing at the time? Like where your time was getting, like, you know, taken up more by it. Where like you know, did you feel extra stressed about that, or was the business sort of? Like you had the side business and it was just sort of staying at the same level. So everything was manageable. Like what kind yeah. of. Yeah, I think it was more like that where it kind of stayed at the same level because I couldn't really put too much more into it to like mm-hmm. actively grow it. Um, of course, you know, you hope that, oh, I'm going to make this Etsy shop and then everybody's going to buy stuff. But it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it. It stayed as manageable as I chose to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I signed up for, you know, seven markets in a handful of months, then it was a little more stressful. But right. <laughs> that was me doing that to myself. Um, yeah, and that was the thing, you know, I wanted to do all those things. And I'd kind of forget that I also have a full-time job. Right, <laughs> right. I can, yeah, I can't imagine having to create inventory for markets all while. Yeah. Working because even I mean I'm trying to think back when I was still working and doing, um, you know, and had my Etsy shop and was just creating works. Um, I think I only did like two markets, and I'm trying to think if I had my job then or if I had already quit. I I honestly can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember if it was at the same time. Go back or not. and listen to your own interview. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember if I was doing both. But anyway, I mean, yeah, at the time for me, I was like. It, it became one or the other. Mm-hmm. But this was also earlier. So it was like yeah. the industry wasn't so – like even macrame, it was the beginning sort of of the resurgence of it or whatever. So even searching online for a piece, it was like people would just immediately find me on, mm-hmm. on Etsy because there weren't so many shops trying to um, – you know that I had to compete with. So it was a different yeah. world. Um, so I'm curious. So once you did get – you did get laid off in, you know, like March 2020 – how did you go on? How did you proceed from there? And what is um, what is business feeling like right now? And I'm actually I'm also wondering, like emotionally and, um, you know, how did all of it? How did it all go down? <laughs> I want to say chaos. because <laughs> Well, yeah, because you even didn't you didn't feel I'm sure you didn't feel ready to not have that paycheck. Yeah, not at all. And it was a huge um, I mean, you know, I was signed up for unemployment for a while you know, because I wasn't making any money. Right. And uh, yeah, you know, it was a big, a big shock. And, you know, they say when something really traumatic or stressful happens in your life, not to make big decisions, right? Well, <laughs> I did that. And then <laughs> I dealt with it, I guess, right. poorly, probably. But, you know, I made the choice to do that. And then I just kind of took a few weeks to kind of understand, you know, what is it I want to do with this? Um, is what I'm doing now sustainable? You know, what what are the things I just want to go for? So at that point, I just kind of started to just make what I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And I started applying for like shows and I applied for um, a virtual Enneagram show. And I made um, this big golden... Uh, wall hanging piece is about like three ish feet by three feet in this kind of diamond shape. And it had like a, like a planter in the center. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was based on my Enneagram number, um, or my most dominant one, which is a nine, which is the peacemaker. And that got accepted into this Enneagram virtual show. And then I was like, Oh, cool. I was like, if I, maybe this can be a thing. And I actually start making stuff that gets into art shows. And, um, and then I submitted that piece for the Etsy design awards and then actually won the art category um and that was really cool so cool yeah so it was like these these like small I guess I shouldn't say small but like you know there were these points of um like victory I guess for Mm -hmm. myself that I was like okay it was very affirming I was like I I have something that I can move forward with and I know people like it I know I can make this work and I enjoy doing it right it was putting together all the pieces into how exactly do that I how to exactly do that I had no idea what to do so I actually invested in a coach um so I have a creative business coach her name's Donna um and she's wonderful and she's been helping me put together like 
like the first three months we did a lot of like mindfulness and mindset work, Mm -hmm. which prompted, well, I wouldn't say that prompted, but at that time I was having a lot of stress and anxiety and started to develop panic attacks. Uh Um, and when I started speaking with her, it's like all of these like mindfulness exercises we would do would end in me like breaking down in tears. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I definitely hit a breaking point where I was like, this is not healthy and I need to figure out how to deal with this so that I can actually do the things I want to do. Yeah. Um, and I finally started kind of going to therapy and then my therapist suggested just trying some medication for maybe a little bit to see if that helps, mm-hmm. um, which I had played around in my mind with doing before, but never actually did it. I had been on some things like that when I was younger, like after my parents' divorce, like depression and anxiety is not like a new thing for me. It's kind of something I've always had. Um, and it would say I've just been more of like a high functioning person with these attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you hit a tipping point where it just becomes dangerous. Yeah. And there are outside factors in life that always influence that point to your the tipping point when it happens. The best move. Wait, hold on. Sorry, you're breaking up. One second. Uh, one second. One second. Yeah, got hold. on that medication. And... Hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Oh, did we freeze? Yeah, you were breaking up. Okay, can you go back like I don't know, ten seconds and yeah. just repeat? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So I saw my therapist. She su- suggested medication. So I talked to my doctor, and we kind of started seeing what would work. And I've been on like Lexapro since last summer mm-hmm. and it has, it's insane to think about where I am mentally now versus where I was mentally a year ago. Oh, wow. It's, it's for me, it's night and day, like very much so. Um, you know, I still kind of have this like scatterbrained like atmosphere all the time, but it's so much more um, manageable and I'm just not like depressed and it's a, great. So anybody's questioning seeing a therapist or trying some medication yeah just do it yeah no I mean that's what I hear I mean so many people I mean even like one of my best friends it was like um when her dad got diagnosed with um early onset Alzheimer's and like she already lives like a super stressed Mm -hmm. life and um and has been going to therapy forever but hadn't been on medication I mean she's literally in therapy for 15 years but no medication mm-hmm. so finally they were like listen you're going through a lot this doesn't have to be permanent just try it and she's like oh my yeah. god total game changer like yeah. she, she's like you don't have to suffer you know it's like you're still you you don't have to suffer though with the, with all the you know the the low low lows and, yeah. the, and the anxiety and she, yeah she's just like it's a completely it, it was it, you know, it saves you. It really does. I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it was something I wish I had done a lot sooner. Um, cause I think up to that point, it put a lot of unnecessary stress on, you know, my relationships and just my, my own like self-esteem and self-worth and everything. Um, cause kind of since I started working with my coach and, you know, doing all of that other kind of self-work, um, I'm not a person who usually has a ton of confidence in my own abilities. Mm. Uh, and I require a lot of outside, um, you know, bolstering to kind of validation. Make, yeah, validation. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, that's so crazy. That does not strike me. I don't know why I always see you as so confident. And yeah, I mean, that's so funny. because <laughs> It's so not like how I am. Uh, I'm growing into more of that person. And that's yeah. what I'm excited about is like, I've been through a lot of these struggles. And have, I think doing the whole thing of really trying to make something my own that I want and I really care about, I've had to um, kind of stand up to these walls I've built myself that to kind of keep me back and keep me small. Mm. And internally, that's what is what your subconscious does. I mean, especially if you're if you're a child of divorce or a child, um, just somebody who's grew up in you know, not a super easy environment all the time. That's kind of what you do. You learn to kind of hide. You learn to be quiet. You learn Mm -hmm. to be the peacemaker. I was going to say, this is so your Enneagram number. Yeah. Yeah. You learn to be that person that is there for other people, solves other people's problems and, um, you know, minimizes your own issues because you don't want to be a burden to somebody else. So through all this work I've done, I've realized, 
you know, it's not a burden to other people because the people around me love me and want to help me and want me to succeed. And I also want me to succeed. So why do I view it that way? So it's been a series of this past year, especially really trying to like figure out those little points and just one by one trying to work on them. And it's a lifelong journey, I'm sure. Well, I mean, how wonderful that you found a good um, creative coach who has brought you through. How did you find her? Did you on Instagram? Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, her Instagram handles like hot culture creative. She used to run textile tours and mm. years ago, that's when I started following her because she was doing these textile tours. And then, um, I think before COVID she started, uh, switching to wanting to do coaching. So yeah, that's I awesome. think, Oh gosh. Oh, I have another crazy like universe story with her. Um, this is when I was having my panic attacks and I was driving home. I'm a very anxious driver. I don't like driving in traffic in Houston. That's an interesting thing. Um, <laughs> so we have a ton of traffic Yeah. and I was driving home and I started having a panic attack. Oh God. While driving. I just started, uh, yeah, I just started bawling and I was like trying to cross lanes of traffic to exit. And I felt very, uh, just super lost and very like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, there's no way I'm going to make this work. My husband's paying all the bills. I hate that. You know, all it's just it's just a lot of guilt. It was yeah. just piling on all the guilt. Everything was my fault. All of that. And I get home and I was just like, I need help with something. And I like asked the universe for help. And then she started messaging me on Instagram just about like random questions about like what I was doing as a creative because uh-huh. she was building up her own like market research. Right, right. And stuff. So we just started talking and then I had a call with her and then I was like, yes, <laughs> help me. Oh, that's so, amazing. I know. See, yeah, you, sometimes you really do have to say yes. Even like yes. when it seems maybe out of the blue or like, you know, you yeah. don't know if this person is either going to be trustworthy or whatever. But you obviously had like good vibes with her. And yeah. look at yeah. how good yeah. it turned Since out. She's helped me so much. Yeah. We've developed amazing. like, I worked on putting together like a business plan and understanding my pricing and, you know, what makes me profitable and what are the things I want to focus on. And, you know, through the process, I... I realized I wanted to do less of the smaller market size pieces and move mm-hmm. more. I'm really trying to move more in like the fine art direction. Yeah. Um, creating like in my mind, I have all these crazy installations and like big, beautiful sculptural pieces. So, you know, this year I'll be working a lot more on moving into more 3D kind of work where I can. And then I started incorporating painting, um, which I wish I had a piece up that I sold my first one. So that was exciting. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I want to incorporate, you know, kind of landscape or geological sort of paintings with my fiber work and then find a way to move all that into a 3D space. And yeah. You know, I've seen just maybe two pieces of your your 3D pieces that you sent me um, the images of on on the PDF. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I love, love where you're taking that. Yeah, so, I'm really excited about it. I think it's, it's really be a cool. Thing. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. have you seen the painting one? I did the um p- yeah. p- portal. Did I just? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I have like a whole like in my mind this whole like exhibition show that's around portals and gateways, and it's like you know gazing through these fiber portals to see like moments in time that you want to go back to or ideal imagery or you know an ideal version of you, and it's yeah. It's all, it's all in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. I can't wait for you to be able to get that all like realized. I and I mean, I know it's like it's a lot of planning and it's a lot of time and, um, you know, but you'll you'll make it happen. Super cool. Like really cool idea. Um, I'm trying to. Did you post those on Instagram? Did I just miss them? God, I hate Instagram. <laughs> Which one? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. The, the portal piece and the the one, the 3D one. You know which mm-hmm. one? That one. Yeah, that's like on this. there. It's probably a little further back. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I like, I saw that and I was like, oh my God, like how have I, how have I not seen that? Like jaw yeah. dropped. You got to repost and it. And that was so crazy. <laughs> I made it and then I posted a reel about the process and then immediately from that it got sold. And oh, I was just like, that's wow. I've seen it again. Yeah. I've got to make more of these. <laughs> yes. Please do. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, we'll have to talk about it, but. I might want one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't even know if you're taking commissions. Let's talk about it. Are you taking commissions right now? Yeah, I'm always taking commissions. Okay. I, I, uh, I'm really trying to 
find people who want like, you know, the bigger kind of, I don't know. I, I pretty much take commissions for most things. Yeah. Okay. So um, color wise, you're okay with working with colors that are outside your comfort zone? Yeah. And just, just I, yeah. A, a lot of the times um, I've had a few commissions that have been colors that I wouldn't have picked and then I've ended up loving them. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's just, I want to work with all of the colors, you know, I want to figure out, you know, just because I gravitate towards this certain palette right now doesn't mean that's what I'm going to gravitate towards next year. Or, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Awesome. And we cannot uh, say goodbye without talking about something big that's about to happen in your life. Uh, <laughs> something big you're launching. I mean, I didn't want to make it sound like a baby or something. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you like to promote? <laughs> okay. Well, um, I was – fortunate enough to be asked by Domestica to create a macrame course. So I did that last December. We recorded a course for a macrame wall planter, um, which I love to create. And I the launch date is pending, but, hope, but by the time this comes out, the launch date will be secured. And I'm sure I'll be posting it everywhere. Um, so in this course, I kind of walk you through my own design inspirations, how I mock up pieces, how I um, figure out how to put everything together, the techniques you'll need. And I also go through my dyeing process, which is really cool to see. Because I know we we didn't actually finish an earlier question about dyeing and everything. But oh, right. Yes. Like, we'll dyeing, get back to like, that. <laughs> yeah, we're back to it now. Dyeing is like really intimidating and it took me a while to figure it out. But if I had had like even this short video process of seeing somebody set up and yeah. seeing how they did it, I would have been much less intimidated. So that's in there. Awesome. And I show you my gradient dyeing technique and uh, how to just construct your own. So I'm very yeah. excited about it and I hope everybody takes it. <laughs> yeah, we got to get the word out there for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, it sounds very, very helpful, informative. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm like, oh God, if I, there's still so much I want to do and I, I mean, just no time to do it or kids no. getting away or family, whatever. And like, it's like, you know, I still, I'm like, oh, I just want to make a video. Like I want to, I still want to make like a YouTube tutorial yeah. on how to make a, you know, a layered macrame, you know, like just something so, so like obvious that is, which is something like I, I could do. I mean, my husband's a cinematographer for God's sakes. And it's just like, even oh, that is hard that. to get so out cool. there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you should definitely I know do it's that. ridiculous. It is ridiculous. The resources I am not using, <laughs> but whatever we'll get there one day I don't know we'll see but um what was my point in that oh just yeah the oh the dyeing part like um because mm. I've dyed stuff um pretty basic though like usually one color one color doing like an ombre yeah. um which is pretty which is easy enough to figure out but I think the gradient um technique and if you're I don't know if you're are you like pre pre soaking or what's it called more yeah so I pre-wash mm-hmm everything. Okay. I, I know sometimes you buy cotton strings that aren't treated with anything, but I usually always soak and then have a little, use a little detergent or something and just kind of swish it back and forth in water for a while. Um, Pre-soaking before you, and dyeing while the string is wet is like, like really going to help. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. If your string's wet, your liquid's hot, um, it's just going to help everything adhere more. Nice. Yeah. And in the process, like yeah, you know, there's like the gradient dye that you can do with just, or an ombre with just one color. Uh, I'll show you in the course um, using two colors and two bins and kind of how I do that. And I do any, I do up to like six colors. Um, wow. So it's just like a, a fraction of what I do, but right. it's simply there and I'm excited about it. And it's, you know, my favorite knot, the clove hitch knot. Yeah. Wall planters are really awesome. And, you know, the idea is that you take the techniques and what you learn from the course to make your own thing in your own shape and own size and own colors. And yeah. Very cool. I can't wait yeah. for that to come out. That's super cool. Um, wow. Well, thank you so much. It's been an hour. I feel like I want to ask you more, though. I don't know if you have- I kind of want you to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of <laughs> want to talk about your Enneagram number and, oh, your, yeah. and your peacemaker. Um, had you taken the Enneagram before? Oh, so if, if you guys don't know, um, the Enneagram is like a personality test um, and you t you there are like long test versions and shorter test versions, I think, to get your number. Like, I mean, I think you can actually like take really long ones to get yeah. a more thorough thing. But I took I took the one online um, 
sorry, I'm looking for my sheet of paper. The from the Enneagram Institute. It's yeah, called the yeah the Ready uh, mm -hmm. Riso Hudson Enneagram Type Indicator. Um, so the thing is, you know what that I found weird is like I was torn between the way I would answer when I was 18 versus the way I would answer now because I think a lot of those change. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. So anyway, I got I I got that I'm a Type Seven, which is the enthusiast, which is someone who's like say, says yes to everything, like yes to trying mm -hmm. everything. Um, and then my wings, like so, the next closest ones were uh, Type Three, which is an achiever, and Type Nine, which is the peacemaker, which is you. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I was really torn because I'm like, yeah, I used I feel like I used to be more enthusiastic. Now I'm like a homebody, so I just kind of stay at home. I don't do my. But it doesn't mean you're not still that. In some, I mean, to me, when I read the um, the what is it, the enthusiast? Um, I mean, you're also very enthusiastic about other people. That's you true. know, I mean, this whole podcast is kind of like a thing for that. Like, you yeah, kind of channel true. your enthusiasm in like excitement through these other kinds of you know, things. You don't have to just be outside all the time. That's true. I know. Things. I always like apply it to activities because that's the way I was when I was young. And I was super down yeah. for anything anyone wanted to do, you know, um, maybe to a fault and to my detriment, to my health detriment. <laughs> but oh, yeah, I'm sure we both in there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with the peacemaker, are you the middle, the middle child? You said you have a sister no, and a brother. You're not. I'm actually the oldest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so when I did the test, I am actually basically 50-50. My dominant ones are 50-50 in Enneagram 9 oh. and Enneagram 2. Okay. I think. Type 2, the so helper. A nine, yeah. That a makes a lot of sense. The, a 9 is the peacemaker and a 2 is the helper. Um, and I chose a 9. It was literally over by one point. And I just wanted to choose one to really dive into because I knew mm. more about the helper side of me because um, that's something that's been very obvious to me over life. Um but the peacemaker was interesting. Um, so I dove more into that one. And for the piece that I did, I chose to represent the achieving peacemaker, which is like a peacemaker when it's like healthy, like mentally stable and, you know, things going well in life. Um, because at that time, I was like, that's where I want to be. <laughs> right. That's what I'd like right now. <laughs> it's and, aspirational. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was very much like... Uh, you know, the peacemaker, like I kind of insinuated earlier, is really all about like, just, they want to feel unification across like all points between people between the environment, it's, it's wanting to feel um, whole, mm -hmm. like, just with everything around it. And kind of, I guess, before you get to that healthy point, you know, you're always the one that's trying to be the person that does that for everyone. Right. Um, yeah, and the helper is pretty much what it sounds like. <laughs> right, someone helper. who wants to help everybody, exactly. Yeah. So when you ended up picking that, well, uh, not picking, but um, focusing on being mm -hmm. um, as the as the peacemaker for that uh, for the exhibition for the Enneagram exhibition, were you? So did you? Was the point to create a piece based on your Enneagram number, or you like submitted a piece? based on your Enneagram number? Um, the point was to create something based on your Enneagram number. Okay. Um, and at that time, I had already dyed this string and was trying to figure out what to do with it. So when I, you know, when this um, submission application came around, I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of perfect. I mean, the colors that I've created here for me feel how they describe this healthy right. peacemaker. You know, it was like a very... I called it like a golden hour motif. It was very um, pretty pinks, goldy yellows, um, just happy. It's a very bright and happy color palette. Yeah. So I was like, that's kind of perfect. And um, I wanted to, I really gravitated towards these descriptions of unity and like having a connection with the earth and like all of these things. So it's like, I wanted to give it a um, organic feel. So I was mm -hmm. like, well, I'll make it a planter. Like I'll add a planter in the center. And then for the exhibition itself, when I did the photography, I had this pothos in the plant planter in the center. Mm -hmm. And I took the ivy, you know, the individual ivy strands of the pothos and kind of um, 
not I strung them up like around the piece, like it was growing out of it and like binding along it. So gave it this very like organic fluid feel. Yeah. Which, yeah. And grounded. It was like very grounded. Right. Because oh, of that. It was beautiful. I love that piece. Um, have you ever heard your Enneagram um, song? There's Enneagram song. Okay. There is an artist. Um, I'm looking it up right now. Sleeping no at way. Sleeping at Last. Um, I think okay. it's the band, but it's one guy. I'm pretty sure it's like one guy. Um, and he composed and wrote songs based on Enneagram numbers. And I'm telling you, Demi, when you hear it, you will cry. I cried. I listened to mine and I cried. And then and I sent it to my friend too. And she listened to hers and she cried. And like they're such good, it's such good music. Um, so you have to look it up. If you go to Google, just look up Sleeping at Last or Enneagram Song or whatever, yeah, and you'll see it. I can't it. believe that this is a thing and I didn't know about it. I know. <laughs> it's really beautiful. And he's just he's a beautiful artist too and singer and whatever. So um yeah, definitely look that up, you guys. That's awesome. I will. Uh, yes. And like, you know how you said when you were answering the questions, it was kind of hard for you. It's like, you're supposed to answer them how you are now, but it does change. I mean, the cool thing about the Enneagram is it doesn't expect to say, to stay stagnant. They, they expect your numbers to change or at least the balance to change over time. Right. So it's cool to take it like every few years, I think. That's true. It has probably been two or three years for me. I should retake it and see, see where I am now, like post pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. Go listen to another song and cry. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, oh my gosh, Demi. Well, thank you so much for sharing your whole story with me. This is so awesome getting to know you. Um, I'm super excited for your domestic um, course to come out. And of course, we'll be, you know, I'll be posting about that on Instagram. Hopefully you get a little boost, even though I swear to God, I'm about to quit yeah, Instagram. <laughs> I mean, no, no, I'm literally about to quit Instagram because, because I'm not creating reels. And so I am literally getting yeah. like, oh, I don't know, 80 likes. On a photo, yeah. and I'm I know I just repost other people, but my whole point is so that people will see the work of other people, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, yeah, anyway, there's my maybe you should try just doing reels of images of people's, of other work. people's work. That's a good yeah. idea, that's a really good idea. Thank you, creative coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yes, thank you again. Um, you guys can find Demi at say again. Um, my Instagram is at Demi Macrame Designs. I think there's periods in between those words. Mm-hmm. They'll find you. Yep, they'll find it. Yep, they'll find me. And then my website's um, www.demi.design. <laughs> and uh, I guess when this is out, I mean, my course is out. Check it out. Sign up. Yep. Ask me questions. Yes. You're very DMable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really like talking to people about this stuff. So it's it's easy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for sharing. And I will definitely see you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. Check the show notes of each episode to get the website and Instagram for each of the fiber artists I speak with. Be sure to give them a follow. And you can view video from this podcast on neuromastudio.com slash the fiber artist podcast. If you enjoy the Fiber Artist Podcast, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.